0: You're listening to the Quince podcast. At a time when the world is anxious for a coronavirus vaccine, Patanjali has claimed to have already found an Ayurvedic wonder drug. It's not an immunity booster, Baba Ramdev said, but a hundred percent cure. From testing the drug on less than 100 patients at the clinical trials, Patanjali skipped publishing the details of the study and straightaway jumped to launching its coronavirus cure kit on 23rd June, with Coronel and Swasari as the first Ayurvedic treatment for the virus. While news channels hasten to invite Baba Ramdev to elaborate on the cure, barely hours after the launch, the Ayurvedic company and its founders found themselves in a hot mess with even the Ayush Ministry, which is the regulator for Ayurvedic drugs in India, distancing itself from their claims and instead asking them to stop advertising or publicising the drug until their claims are ascertained by the government. While the sale of its product is currently on hold, there seems to be a lot of scientific and procedural gaps with Patanjali's drug and its trials. So what do we know about Coronil and its trials? For this podcast, we spoke to Dr. S.P. Kalantri, who is the Director Professor of Medicine at MGI MS and also the Medical Superintendent of Kasturba Hospital. And Anand bhan who is an Adjunct Professor and Researcher in Bioethics at Mangaluru's Yennepoeya University. You're listening to The Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you. And I'm your host, Buri. At the launch of Coronel in Haridwar, Yoga Guru Baba Ramdev, who founded Patanjali along with Acharya Balkrishna, claimed that Coronel tablets Swasarivati and Anu Taila had shown 100% favourable results during the clinical trials on COVID-19 patients. Yes, you've heard it right, a 100% recovery. He informed that during the trial, 69% of the patients recovered in three days, while the recovery rate was 100% over a period of seven days. The trial was registered on the 20th of May and close to a month later, Patanjali claimed to have not only found a cure, but also planned on selling the tablet in their stores in a week, with each kit priced at rupees 545. But all this without releasing the details of the research and without the backing of research bodies like ICMR, or the Ayush Ministry, or any other scientific body or journal for that matter. Anand Ban, who is an adjunct professor and researcher in bioethics at Mengaluru Zeynepa University, says that there's a clear regulatory gap on Ayush medications and the way the research is done on them.
1: Yes, there seems to be a lot of uh, missing details. Uh, One, you know, I think there is a clear regulatory gap for um, Ayush medications and in the way research is done on them. And through the same standards as are applied for allopathic medicine supply. And if so, if they're doing it because they say that they have been, they want to do a randomized control trial and they've started one, uh, which has been registered with the Clinical Trials Registry of India, there seems to be some gaps in the way the entry uh, exists right now. One, the trial was registered on the 20th of May with the first patient being recruited on the 29th of May. And there was um, a series of endpoints which needed to be registered for uh, for the trial with follow-up for the patients, including a uh, 14-day follow-up. But even with all of that um, and with their uh, sample size being around 120 patients, uh, for them to announce uh, results uh, on efficacy... On the twenty third of June is very surprising because that means that you know in less than a month they've finished the study and they have endpoints and they have analyzed the data and they want to present it.
0: Now Patanjali's claim of a hundred percent recovery comes at a time when the entire medical community is scrambling to find a cure for this highly infectious virus. So far, globally, many research groups are simultaneously working for medicines or vaccines. 13 experimental vaccines are being tested right now in humans, but no research has claimed a 100% recovery on all patients so far. So a cure sounds like good news, right? But let's break down the several problems with coronil one by one. To begin with, essentially what we have from Patanjali right now is zero data from the clinical trials and just claims on the fantastic results from this miracle drug. At the launch, they claim to have tested around 120 people, but what kind of patients were they? Dr. Kalantri, who is the Director Professor of Medicine at MGI MS and the Medical Superintendent of Kasturba Hospital, points out the missing links in Patanjali's claims. He says that there appears to be a big selection bias in the sampling.
2: Predominantly, the 120 odd hmm. individuals were supposed to be enrolled in the study. So they were all young, their main age was 35. Hmm. All of them were either symptomatic or had mild disease. And none of them had a comorbidity like a heart disease, lung disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, or a kidney mm. disease. So, so in a sense, you are picking up perfectly normal, previously healthy human beings who just happened to get infected and had little or no symptoms. Mm. And then you are trying out a drug on these uh, dominantly young, asymptomatic, or barely symptomatic men and women. Mm. The point is that the moment you choose such a po- population, there's a big selection bias that occurs, which means that these people were destined to get better of their own, right. yeah. given their age, given their lack of symptoms or mild symptoms, and given their absence of comorbid illness. So so uh, uh, a sort of a selection bias now creeps in into the study design.
0: And the problems don't stop here unfortunately. Going back to Patanjali's statements, 69% of the patients who were given the Ayurvedic drug had turned COVID-negative. But for those who were given a placebo, there's no more information beyond that. How did they decide a sample size of around 100 patients? What are the details of the sample size? Dr. Kalantri elaborates on the problems of their claims.
2: Hmm. The second problem is that uh, they said that they were compared with a placebo. But they haven't mentioned what this placebo was or what was the standard treatment. So did these patients also receive certain other drugs, for example, hydroxychloroquine, or not? Uh, or uh, there is no mention in the in the study uh, design at all. Hmm. Then there is no mention of the sample size. That how did they get a sample of 120? Hmm. So normally, whenever we submit a randomized controlled trial, we say we explain categorically and very explicitly how we uh, derive the sample size based on certain assumptions and based on certain statistical tests. So, uh, it looks like that this number of 120 was a convenient sample. They just randomly picked up 120-odd individuals and did a drug trial on that, which scientifically is not correct.
0: Now, Baba Ramdev also announced that the clinical control study was jointly conducted by the Patanjali Research Institute and the National Institute of Medical Sciences, or NIMS, in various parts of India like Delhi, Ahmedabad and Meerut. But what is the track record of NIMS exactly? What prior experience does this institute have in conducting drug trials? NIMS' website doesn't provide any details, but as per the data available on Clinical Trials Registry, they've only registered twice for drug trials, including the current one. Dr. Kalantri also points out that other than the lack of prior expertise, NIMS is not even registered with the Central Drug Standard Control Organization.
2: So the researchers who are doing this trial are not very really experienced in conducting... Uh, adequately numbered uh, 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 good-sized clinical trials at all. Mm. Another thing is that it is extremely important that the ethics committee of the hospital which grants a permission to conduct such trials in a hospital they must be registered with CDSCO Central Drug Standard and Control Organization which falls under uh, DDHS. It looks like that the ethics committee of the hospital has is not registered with CDSCO also. So we see that there are several issues related to the basic study design. Several biases have entered in the study. The sample size is probably not appropriate. Hmm. Uh, the the study population is predominantly young and asymptomatic people. The outcome measures are not very well defined. And... Uh, in one of their outcome measures, they also talk about a biomarker called interleukin-6. And yeah. they said that they kept on repeatedly measuring interleukin-6. Mm-hmm. My point is that if your patients are dominantly young asymptomatic, and free of comorbid illnesses, and they have mild illness, mm-hmm. then their interleukin-6 levels are unlikely to go up.
0: In a statement to the journal Down to Earth, Dr. Abhishek Sharma, who was involved in the trial, said that it was only a pilot study. And I'm just going to read one line of his statement for you. Quote, this was only a pilot study. The study has to be scaled up further. First, we have to share the details with the Clinical Trials Registry of India. Only after that will the results be sent for peer review to any journal. But was it ethical to advertise the drug as a 100% cure before any peer review? In the fast tracking of medical procedures in a pandemic, a lot of researchers are skipping crucial steps. And we've talked about it in the previous episode of The Big Story as well. Do check it out in the show notes. But to reiterate some points, dexamethasone, an older steroid that is said to be yielding positive results on critically ill coronavirus patients was also recently criticised by medical experts for releasing the results in the form of a press release without peer reviews. And Mr. Bhant points out that unlike Oxford University, which at least put out details of the trial protocol on public domain, Patanjali went on to claim a 100% efficacy without any data. He also talks about the importance of peer review journals and why it's all the more necessary right now.
1: Right. So even with dexamethasone, as you rightly pointed out, we do, we haven't seen uh, a publication yet. There is a preprint which they have made available over the last few days. But when the press release was done and the press announcement was made, uh, there was no uh, publication. But having said that, uh, you know, dexamethasone is a well-known drug for a long time. And the uh, trial protocol was also available in the public domain. And they basically, based on that protocol, made certain claims around what they found. Uh, they did not make claims in the same way uh, were made yesterday which is 100 percent efficacy and that you know it causes cure they were more uh, you know more uh, limited in the way they described what they think the utility of the drug was but uh, again as you are rightly pointing out even there we haven't seen um, the final published peer-reviewed paper the importance of a peer-reviewed paper is because once you have come up with your findings and then you write it up Uh, in a scientific way and then you send it it into a journal, the journal will send it out to independent peer reviewers who will look at it critically and identify um, all the elements of the study and then raise questions if there are any gaps or if there are any concerns around the way the data is presented or if the data actually is reflective of the claims which are being made in the paper. Based on that, typically revisions are made. If the paper is accepted, it is published. And then again, it is available in the public domain for anyone to independently verify based on what the data which is presented. So in a way, it helps us um, as one of the steps in finding out if a claim is being made, what data sources is that claim based on, and if the study was conducted, then was it conducted properly following all usual safeguards and due processes which are required of a clinical trial. None of that seems to ha- have happened and uh, this is just basically a coming a company coming up with claims which are difficult to verify which makes it uh, you know a bit concerning because then people might think that this was because it, there has been a claim made on national TV by a well-known brand um, and uh, they might not understand that we need to actually look at the data in a more discerning way before being able to make any judgment.
0: But why did Ayush Ministry pull the plug on Coronel only after the launch? Were they not aware of Patanjali seeking a license for it? Ramdev and Krishna claimed that it was only a matter of miscommunication and that all the necessary details were provided to the government. But the license officer of Uttarakhand's Ayurveda Department told Indian news agency ANI that Patanjali had only sought permission for an immunity booster. And I'm just going to read the quote of the license officer. Quote, as per Patanjali's application, we issued them license. They didn't mention coronavirus, we only approved license for immunity booster, cough and fever. We'll issue them a notice asking about how they got permission to make the kit. End quote. The ministry also directed that a warning may be issued to Patanjali if they don't comply by their orders. And an FIR may be filed in blatant cases of violation. But is a warning enough for such a glaring disregard of protocols? If you like listening to this episode, please subscribe to the Big Story playlist for episodic updates. We'll have on Apple, Google Podcast, Spotify, GeoSavan, and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms. For other podcasts, please log on to the Quinn website and check out the podcast section. For any feedback, shoot an email to podcasts at thequinn.com.
2: Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quince website and check out our other podcasts.